Well, sometimes uh, make observations about the curiosity of chapter breaks. I'll make an observation about the curiosity of the book break. <laughs> uh, originally, in the, the, what we have with the Hebrew manuscripts is that First and Second Kings are one book; that they are kings. But for the sake of size, and we have the Septuagint coming along, the Greek translation, we made them smaller. Uh, and the break happens in the middle of Ahaziah's reign. Now, we left off with Ahab as he does not believe the word of the Lord and ultimately destroys his life. He has every chance to survive. As the prophet says, if you go up to Ramoth Gilead, you're going to die. And that's exactly what happens. His son, Ahaziah, takes the throne, as is told to us in 1 Kings uh, 22. And it's all listed there at the very end, this summary about Ahaziah, which then is a very important introduction to what we see Ahaziah doing in 2 Kings chapter 1. At the end of 1 Kings 22, it says, Ahaziah, the son of, of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat. The king of Judah, he reigned for two years over Israel. Verse 52, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. Just slow down and let that hit you for a minute. Dad is Ahab. Mom is Jezebel. And Ahaziah walks exactly in the paths of Ahab and Jezebel, as well as the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Verse 53, he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. Not a glowing recommendation for Ahaziah. Just like his dad walks in the ways of his dad, provokes the Lord to anger, just like his dad. And that sets up what happens now in 2 Kings 1. In 2 Kings 1, we're told in verse 2 that Ahaziah has what seems to be a fatal injury. He's unsure of what's going to happen to him. He falls through some lattice work that is in his upper chamber. And so with this injury and this illness, he lays there and wants to know what's going to become of him. But rather than inquiring of the Lord to find out what's going to take place, he sends messengers to find out from the God of Ekron, Baal Zebub. Now, the reason why that is particularly curious is Ekron is a city in Felicia. So to get this answer, we are going to send a messenger from Israel all the way to the land of the Philistines, to the city of Ekron, to consult the god Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron. That tells you a lot about Ahaziah. That tells you how he's walked in the ways of Ahab and Jezebel and is so far removed from God, he's not interested in consulting the true and living God. In the process of doing this, verse 3 tells us an angel of the Lord then is sent for Elijah. 
and tells him that messengers from Ahaziah have been sent to find out about the condition and future of Ahaziah. But notice what God says to Elijah about this, because here's what he wants the message to be to Ahaziah to give to these messengers. The end of verse three, you say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. The message is very simple. You go find those messengers. And here's what I want you to tell them. Uh, you had the true and living God right there in your backyard, right there in Israel. God was there for you if you wanted to consult him, but you refused to consult him. And therefore, since you are not inquiring of the Lord, you are certainly going to die of your injuries. And so what happens next? Verse five or verse four, we have Elijah going and he sees these messengers. He tells them this very message. Verse five, the messengers come back to the king and the king says, why are you here? Which is a logical question because the messengers are going to take quite a bit of time to go all the way to Ekron and consult of this false god and then bring the message all the way back. Here, Elijah has intercepted these messengers and said, here's what God says. Go tell Ahaziah as, I, as the messengers come back. Why are you here? And they say in verse six, there's a man that came to meet us and he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there's no God in of Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. Stinging message given to Ahaziah. Ahaziah says in, asked in verse 7, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? <laughs> who is this guy that gave you this message? Verse 8, well, he was covered in hair and had a belt of leather about his waist. And Ahaziah says, well, that must have been Elijah. <laughs> it, must, it must be Elijah. So that now sets up the next scene that happens in, I think, the best way to speak of what Ahaziah is going to do is essentially learn the hard way. Is here Elijah has given this declaration about God. Uh, from God about what is going to happen to Ahaziah. How is Ahaziah going to respond to this message? Verse 9, the king sent to, to uh, Elijah a captain of 50 men with his 50. Now, I just want you to stop and, and, and think about that for a minute. Ahaziah essentially sends the army, 50 soldiers and a captain. Do you suppose they're going just to have a chit-chat if you send 50 soldiers and a captain to go talk to Elijah? You think they're just going to you know, sit down, relax, have a glass of water and talk things out about what's the will of the Lord? You have in this scene that the, the best case scenario is that they are coming to arrest uh, Elijah to have this many men coming. And at worst, they're coming to kill him as soon as they can get their hands on him. Why else are you sending 
51 guys to go talk to Elijah. I think that's an important background to see. Why is Ahaziah sending 51 guys to go after Elijah? Not for a good reason. And that's what sets up what happens here is in verse 9, the captain with his 50 men goes up to Elijah, who's sitting on top of a hill and says to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. And Elijah seizes upon a phrase that the captain says. (laughs) And in the phrase he seizes on man of God, he says there in verse 10, Elijah answers, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven, consume you and your 50. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. (laughs) Hey, man of God, get down here. Hey, if I'm a man of God, watch fire come down from heaven. They're all consumed. Now, it's important to take a step back here for a minute because, boy, there are a lot of people who really get tweaked about that happening. and say, what is going on here? Elijah's just unilaterally killing 51 people all by himself. But we're to remember, this is the power of God. But there is a teaching moment that is happening here. When is the last time Israel has seen fire come down from heaven? Mount Carmel. This is to be an indicator, a teaching moment, a reminder. Remember who you are dealing with. Remember Elijah. Remember fire coming down from heaven. Remember he is the man of God because at Mount Carmel, God was showing himself to be the true and living God. God was showing Baal at that time to be the false God. God was showing Elijah to be sent from God. And so now this scene almost recreates itself. Where is Elijah? On a mountain, on a hill. (laughs) And they come up to him and say, hey, man of God. All right, if I'm a man of God, do you remember this? (laughs) And fire comes down and consumes the 51 men. Now, you would imagine that report gets back to Ahaziah and Ahaziah says, wow. I remember that Elijah guy. I remember how that all happened with my dad. And we had all the Baal worship that was going on. And the 450 prophets of Baal that died. And we had the true and living God. And Israel confessed him to be the true God. And I need to follow God, right? No. (laughs) Ahaziah does not learn from this at all. Verse 11 tells us the king sends another captain with another 50 men. So again, captain, 50 soldiers, not coming for a discussion, not coming to relax, not coming for a cup of coffee. And we have the the captain say to Elijah, oh, man of God, verse 11, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. And Elijah answered them, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven, consume you and your 50. And then the fire of God came down from heaven, consumed him and his 50. We're learning much here. (laughs) Same thing happens again. Ahaziah is not taking a step back and going, wow, Elijah really is the man of God and that God is really with him. And this is the true message of God. In fact, Ahaziah is so dense in his spiritual understanding. Notice in verse 13, the king set the captain of a third 50 men One more time, 
51 more soldiers to go and get Elijah. But notice this time what happens. Verse 13. And the third captain of the 50 went up and came and he fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. There's one man who is understanding what's happening here at this moment. One man is learning the message that's going on here. Third captain comes, O man of God. Please keep me alive and do not kill me, nor my 50 men, because we know fire came down from heaven. It's going to consume the other two captains and the other two sets of 50. Please preserve our lives. Let our lives be precious in your sight. In verse 15, we hear that an angel of the Lord tells Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him, which tells you what was going to happen with the other captains if this time now it's safe to come down and go with this captain and these 50 men. And here's the message. It's verse 16. Here's what you're going to go say to the king. Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now, here's the thing that I think is, is worthy just to stop and think about for a minute. What is God trying to show about himself? Here is this very interesting scene of Elijah fire from heaven, consuming soldiers, all because of a wicked king who's inquiring of the gods. What is God's message to Israel? Why is this here for us? What is the big deal that God wants us to see? I think there are some important considerations that are given to us. And the first thing that becomes, I think, just glaringly clear is that God hates when you turn somewhere else. I hope you will notice the repetition in verse 3, verse 6, and in verse 16. Three times the text says, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? That's the message repeated three times. Is there no God in Israel for you to be able to seek the Lord and find your answer? Instead, you go after the other gods. In fact, it's so serious to God that did you catch the message because you have inquired of the other gods rather than the true and the living God, you're not going to recover from your injury. You are going to die. And I want us to consider what God is trying to say to us is that God hates when we do not come to him first. 
He hates it when we look other places. That you have God in heaven saying to each of us again and again, Don't you have me? Am I not here? Am I not accessible that you go to these other places and to these other things to solve your problems, to be able to look for your answers, to be able to guide your life? Am I not here that you can come to me and access me? That's what Elijah's message is. God is right here. Why would you go to idols? Why would you go to Ekron? Why would you go to false gods? Let me illustrate it like this. Imagine that you have your little children. And when trouble hits, they don't turn to their parents for help. They go out and find some strangers and tell them all the problems that they have and say, you need to help me. I've got all these things going on. You can imagine a stranger would say, well, haven't you talked to your parents about this? And the child goes, no, I haven't. I'm looking to you for you to help me. And as crazy as that is where you would say, well, obviously you need to go talk to your parents first. Obviously, they're the place to turn. You don't go to strangers. You go to your parents for help. Let me help you consider what God is saying. Can you imagine how insulted you would be as a parent if your kids didn't want to talk to you but ran to strangers to talk to them about your problems? That's what God's saying. I'm right here. Why are you turning everywhere else? It's insulting to him. I'm standing right here. I'm in your midst. I'm here for you. Open door. Tell me what's going on. I'm here for your problems. Whatever you need, just give it to me. And that's what Elijah's saying. You're going to false gods. You're going to the God of Ekron. You're insulting the true and living God. And here is God trying to tell us that why would we ever refuse to go to him first? Why would we ever turn other places when we are in crisis, when we are in turmoil, when we are in pain, whether we are suffering or difficulty? And that's why we have to ask ourselves that very important question. When in trouble, where do you turn first? When things are hard, where do you turn first? When things are difficult, where do you turn first? When in crisis, when in pain, where do you turn first? And I think we know the temptations in Our times of crisis and difficulty is to turn to money, we turn to medicine, we turn to family, we turn to work, internet, government, friends, alcohol, our own wisdom, sins, just fill the box of all the things and all the places that we run when things get hard, when life is tough, when we are suffering, when we are in pain. Uh, I titled the sermon... Did you think to pray? Because as I was putting this lesson together, I was reminded of the, the one of the verses in the psalm that says, When sore trials come upon you, did you think to pray? And that's what's happening right here. Is Elijah saying, here's the message from God, Ahaziah. Why didn't you talk to God? Why wouldn't you come to him? 
And what I want to encourage for us as the primary message of of the lesson tonight is as we talk about prayer and think about prayer, sometimes what we do is we'll talk about prayer. You just need to pray better and you need to do more praying. And, you know, let me give you an acronym and that'll help you pray. And we'll start doing all those kinds of things. And I want to boil it down to just this simple idea is that we pray because God is right here. And he wants that. Just as the parent desires for the child to come to the parent first about any and everything. And how insulting it would be to not do that. God is doing the same thing and saying, I'm right here. I want your problems. I want your difficulties. I want you to inquire of me. And I hope that of anything that that would encourage our prayer life the most is that what God is trying to tell us is I I want to hear that. You don't need to go anywhere else. I'm right here. I'm in your midst. You don't need to go far away. You don't need to search after other things. You don't need to go to hard places. I'm right here in your midst. Whatever you're going through, whatever the difficulty, turn to him first. Give it to him first. He's not far from you, but he is near. And that's what Elijah's message was, is Ahaziah, was there not a God in Israel who was sitting right here ready to listen to you? But because you didn't trust him, because you would not ask him, because you would not turn to him, he will not then respond with what you were looking for. Instead, you are not going to come down from that bed. You are going to die from that injury. Big message that Elijah gives. And it's a challenge to us. Where do you turn to first? Where do you trust and where do you go when things are difficult? And then the second message for tonight is that God's judgment is intended to teach us and to humble us. In this whole scene of about 152 people of Israel, there's one smart man. There is one smart man who defies the orders of the king and approaches Elijah as truly the man of God. In fact, the way that he approaches is so important. In verse 13, it says that he comes up to uh, the base here of where Elijah is on the hill and falls on his knees before Elijah and is entreating him and pleading with him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. So important to see what God was doing in this moment is that this scene is all about trying to teach us and to bring about humility. Or can I say it a sharper way? I will bend our stubborn will. Because that's what's happening here. Ahaziah has a messenger say, go tell him he's not going to recover because he didn't consult the God of Israel. Ahaziah's response, send 51 soldiers. Those 51 soldiers think they're going to tell the man of God what to do? No. Does Ahaziah learn now? No. Second batch, they are consumed. Does Ahaziah now learn? 
No. Sends a third batch. Why is this all happening? Why does this keep going on and on? To bend the stubborn will. You think about all those plagues back in the days of Moses. Why are we having so many plagues? Why so many judgments? Why are we going through locusts? Why are we going through gnats? Why are we going through darkness? Why are we going through death of the firstborn? Why all is this going on except to bend the stubborn will of Pharaoh? This is what God is trying to do. And it's exemplified in this captain who gets on his knees. And that's what God wants us to do. Humble yourself before God. Get on your knees. And you don't have to experience judgment. This one captain understood that. And it really does make you think about how that all unfolded. Because it shows you the others were watching and learning. And yet the other groups still think they're going to go arrest and kill the man of God. This one captain, the third one, he comes along, humbles himself, pleads to Elijah, and notice what he's pleading. I don't want to experience judgment like the others. It makes you wonder, especially based on what we've seen with Ahab, What would have happened if Ahaziah's response had been that? To bend the stubborn will. To get down on the ground before Elijah and say, You are the man of God. Please let my life and the lives of the people of the nation of Israel be precious in your sight. I hope that what we see from how this unfolded is as you read it, you kind of go, these captains and these soldiers and this king are foolish. What are you doing? How much do you have to have happen before you learn? (laughs) How many people have to die before you understand? At what point is it going to sink in so that you will understand that resisting God is foolish and putting your hope somewhere else is absolutely pointless. And I hope that that would be the secondary message that would come into our minds and come into our hearts is that first we turn to the Lord because God wants us to, that God desires our communication with him. He's saying, I'm right here. Turn to me first. Turn to me for everything. And number two, that we come to him and we see that if we come to him in humility, we find a gracious God who loves us, who cares for us, and that the purpose of judgment is so that we would get on our knees, that we would listen to God, that we would bend our stubborn will and stop living our lives for ourselves, but come to God for the help that we need. Just as we saw in 1 Kings 22, that whole chapter, we noted all throughout that, It was a disaster that could have been avoided. The prophet told Ahab what was going to happen. And think about how this is a whole chapter of disaster that could have been avoided. The word of the Lord had been given, and he didn't listen. And what will we do when it comes to listening to the will of God? Will we bend the knee and see that resisting him is foolish, 
Or will we continue to put our hearts and put our trust in other places besides God? Let's go to God in prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, I, I don't know why it is, but Lord, it is an easy temptation for us to turn first to just about anything else and anyone else but you. Lord, we have such a temptation within us to turn to the things that we can see. And so, God, we've turned to other people and we've turned to our own idols of comfort and wealth and ease and careers and the like. So, God, I pray that you'd forgive us for doing that. Forgive us for as often as we approach you as the God of last resort. Forgive us for how many times we don't seek you, even though we know you're here for us. Forgive us for how often we turn to our own wisdom and our own ways. Rather than doing what we know is to be right, what you've told us to do that is right. And instead following our own desires. Forgive us, Lord, for doing that. And God, I pray that you would prick our conscience when in distress and difficulties we don't think to pray. And we start trying yet again to solve our problems ourselves. Would you prick our hearts and touch our minds and move us in such a way to comprehend our need to give you everything and to give everything to you first. God, forgive us for how we so easily insult you by not seeing you as our father, father who cares for us and loves us, but so regularly turn away from you to other things. Lord, tonight we bend our knee before you. And as we pray for forgiveness, we pray also, Lord, that we would be strengthened in the days ahead to trust you more and to seek you more, to pray to you more, to give all of our cares and all of our concerns and all of our worries to you. And that we would always put those things into your hands and not put them on our shoulders any longer. Lord, thank you for making this offer. Thank you, Lord, that you desire for us to give you our difficulties. And Lord, help us that we would cast all of our burdens and all of our cares on you. Because we know you love us and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus. He's, as Elijah speaks of the God of Israel, is right there waiting for us. Desiring for us to come to him with all of our heart, to turn away from our sins, and to seek him faithfully. Can we help you in any way do that this this uh, very evening? We want you to do that. Won't you come while we stand?